You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's hard to find too many positives in as bad of a Bears loss as that, but we'll try and find a couple of silver linings here and some things to take away from an otherwise disaster in Tampa Bay after we break down everything else that went wrong. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter, at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at LockedOnBears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for more Bears talk. Make sure you're subscribed to that Locked On Bears YouTube channel as well to keep up with all of our video podcasts each and every day. I'm sure you can tell right away off the bat my voice does not sound 100% battling through a little bit here. I'm not not joining 10 other Bears players on the COVID list or anything like that, unfortunately, but, you know, just tis the season, I guess, for you know, small little congestion to start picking up for me. So I apologize. It won't be as necessarily crystal clear, but I'll try and power through as best I can here and maybe give you a little bit more of those, those deeper radio tones as a result. But on the show today, we have to break down Justin Fields' performance. Turnovers, obviously the, the big factor in this game. Some of that's on the quarterback. Some of that's on the offensive line. I think some of that's on the coaching staff and the play calling as well. We'll kind of go through some of the key plays there just from having watched it live and some of the things right away that immediately stand out after the game. Then we'll turn our our attention more specifically to coaching staff and and general roster issues. What else went wrong besides just turning the ball over where we saw issues even kind of top to bottom in this team, sometimes on both sides of the ball and maybe some of the common themes that stand out and some of the things we learned immediately after the game from Justin Fields and Matt Nagy. Then we wrap up with those positives, including another big game from Khalil Herbert continuing to run well, and honestly, some moments from this defense, despite the massive difference on the scoreboard and all the points that they did end up allowing, we did see some times and some plays from this defense that do stand out as some positives that we can take from this performance moving forward. But we have to start with some very real negatives from Justin Fields. It was not a good game. I mean, from, from pretty much from anybody, but especially from Fields. I think the final score line and stat line in the in the stat, you know in the box score makes it look I don't know a, a little bit more. I don't want to say that it looks worse than it was because it was bad, right? I mean, was he twenty two of thirty two for one hundred eighty four and three interceptions, right? I mean, he was bad. Just, does that make it look that much more worse than it was? Not necessarily, but I think the stat line only has Justin Fields' name next to it, and so. It's sort of, you sort of instantly associate sort of all the blame then with the quarterback, and I don't think the all the blame fully belongs with the quarterback in this one. Because when you think about you know turnovers, is it is it a bad decision? Is it a bad throw? Is it a bad read? Or you know, or was it a bad play by the receiver? Was it a bad play by somebody else? You know, where where do you start to figure out where the the problems went? And Matt Nagy loves to talk about we're gonna try and figure out the whys afterwards. We're not we're not getting into we're not gonna fall under that trap necessarily as that's sort of an excuse. But I think when when I look back and just having watched it live and the little notes I was taking as the game went along, it was like what two plays into the game, two or three plays in the game when we got our first strip sack of Justin Fields. Yeah, second play of the game. Bears go play action, and a free safety comes off the edge and hits Justin Fields in the pocket, and the ball comes out. And it's it's a play like that that immediately jumps out at you as like, first of all, 
We knew the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to be blitzing, and the Bears were absolutely unable to pick it up on the second play of the game. But then also you have Jason Peters getting absolutely smoked to the inside, Khalil Herbert unable to get to the outside to pick up the the safety blitzer to, to bring the hit free on Justin Fields. But then you say, well, well shouldn't have Justin Fields got rid of the ball or whatever? The Bears were in a play-action max protection package. So they had the running back and two tight ends in to block. Three extra blockers with your five offensive linemen. Just two receivers running routes you know, downfield. Fields did not have a hot read to throw that ball to. The, the whole point of the play is to give him time to throw in order for those other routes downfield, just the two of them, to develop to be able to find something. So he's not expecting to be hit that fast. He doesn't have anywhere to go with the ball, and he certainly didn't have anywhere to escape the pocket because the protection was being beat on two sides. So, yes, you want him to hold on to the ball better, but he also isn't expecting that that pressure to be there, and you wouldn't expect for him to feel that that pressure might be there. And I, I'm looking forward to going back and rewatching to see, you know, did he have two hands on the ball? You know, how was the actual like physical ball security? But again, I'm not I'm not necessarily going to hammer Justin Fields on that one. Same kind of thing. I I felt like with with the first interception, there was a quote after the game from Justin Fields where he said something along the lines of he got the word in his headset from his coaching staff that the defense had 12 men on the field. And so they told him, snap the ball. It's going to be a free play if you snap the ball. So he snapped it early, intentionally. Like he in the center knew how to do that, to, to what he's supposed to call the snap it early, to try and catch the defense with 12 men on the field, which is going to be a flag, which is going to be a free play. So he rolls out and tries to float one deep to Allen Robinson. It gets picked off. No flag on the play. There were not 12 men on the field, or at least the referees didn't see 12 men on the field. They haven't been able to go back and see whether or not there actually were or not. But regardless, two weeks in a row, where Justin Fields thinks he has a free play and just floats something up there for Allen Robinson, who on that play also kind of tripped and fell. The ball might have been a little overthrown for him anyway. Uh, it's hard to tell without going back and watching the All-22, but also Robinson falling to the ground did not give him any chance at that ball either. So, like, yes, it's an interception on Justin Fields, and it wasn't an, a pinpoint accurate throw, but I don't think. But I think the decision-making was based purely on thinking he had a free play, and it was the coaching staff that told him he had a free play. It wasn't even his own thing that he saw right it wasn't something that he he had picked out but he was something that observation is the word I was it wasn't his own observation but it was something from the coaching staff telling him to have a free play so of course you're going to take a shot when you have a free play so I'm not going to kill him necessarily on on that or yes it's a it's an interception and it's bad but it's not it's not like you think of like Jay Cutler where it's like what are you doing with the football like oh my gosh you know why why would you throw that ball right it makes sense there's there's logic and reason behind that interception then there's the second strip sack Lacavius Simmons, Lachavius Simmons, however you want to pronounce it, he's beat by the pass blocker in like two seconds. Fields had no chance to do anything with that ball. Again, he's winding up to throw because he shouldn't expect that there to be pressure that fast. His internal clock didn't shouldn't be running fast enough to anticipate that. Right? He, that's just any quarterback would be put in that same situation. He was getting rid of the ball fairly quickly as is. But the pass rush was just that much quicker. So I'm not going to kill him for that strip sack. His second interception. Hits Darnell Mooney in the hands. It was a little high. Mooney had to go up for it, you know, above his head to try and grab it. But two hands on the ball, goes through his hands, tipped into the hands of a defender. It's not a bad decision by Justin Fields, and it was a catchable ball by Justin Fields. So I'm not going to kill him for that either, right? And this is not to say Fields made no mistakes, had a perfect game, and he should be excused for anything he did wrong. Third interception was baffling. I mean, just rolled out of the pocket and chucked it deep for seemingly no reason. I mean, it was just not a good throw, not a good decision. Bad play there. Missed receivers in this game. 
at least one of the two of the strip sacks, right? He needs to hold on to the ball better. His pocket presence is still a work in progress. There were mistakes all over this performance. It was bad. This was a bad game from Justin Fields and felt like a step back from what we had seen in recent weeks. But I do think not all three interceptions were on him. Not all the strip sacks were purely on him. He needs to be better in all of those situations, but a rookie in his fifth start, I can live with most of those mistakes that we saw early in this game, understanding that they weren't like some symptom of some greater issue. is just a rookie being put in a tough spot. But it felt so often a tough spot by his offensive line and his coaching staff. And we'll get into some of the other issues outside of the quarterback in a little bit more depth next on Locked On Bears. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and then you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle. It's really a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch all your favorite sports, shows, and movies all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part is, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. It seemed like so much varied for the Chicago Bears in this loss and that there were issues from top to bottom all over the roster, all three phases. It felt like every position except one man named Khalil Herbert, who we'll get into a little bit. Other than, other than that, every position had its moments of of just like mistakes and struggling. Not that everyone was completely terrible for four quarters, but this felt like such a collective issue in addition to then the turnovers and the mistakes that we saw at the quarterback position. And it just feels right now like this coaching staff and this roster are not helping Justin Fields. It feels like almost like actively stunting Justin Fields' development when the coaching staff tells him he's got a free play when he doesn't. I mean, like, that's a literal example of the coaching staff hurting the quarterback by giving him literal bad advice live in a game where we actually know and confirm, right? It's one thing where we can sit here and, and look at a play call and think that was probably, a, that, that that looked bad, like a bad play call, or that his read was bad on a play, and we don't actually physically know what the play call was or what the coaching staff told him. But this was Fields himself saying, they told me in my headset, which had to come from someone on the coaching staff, that there were 12 men on the field, and so he quick-snapped it and floated it deep. That That's literally, you cannot give a more clear example of a coaching staff hurting a quarterback on a specific play than that. And it's just, I think, a, a greater example of how this situation has been botched from the start. I mean, you know, you can you can blame some injuries. You can blame guys going on the COVID list. At, kind of at the last minute here, the right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson, going on the COVID list. And even Field said after the game, he didn't know that he it, Wilkinson was going on COVID until he got to the stadium. Again, feels like communication or something there. I know it kind of happened last minute, but for your quarterback to not be in the loop on that, it seems like something might be missing. And Fields said he was surprised because he saw Wilkinson watching film with the offensive line coach Juan Castillo on the morning of the game. And then Wilkinson goes on the COVID list, but as far as we've heard, Juan Castillo has has not. I mean, there's there's a 
some questions there about, okay, what exactly is going on here? My theory is that maybe Elijah Wilkinson was considered a, a close contact, maybe. I mean, this is just me speculating that he was maybe a close contact to somebody else who had COVID. And so it, so then the offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, maybe would be a close contact to a close contact. But I don't think – I think that's enough separation to where the offensive line coach wouldn't have to quarantine. It's just – Maybe Wilkinson quarantining from someone else, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't reverberate that many steps away from the original person who may or may not have tested positive. That's my theory as to how that might work without Juan Castillo ending up on the COVID list, but Wilkinson ending up on the COVID list. But that's just me trying to read between the lines on, on COVID-19 protocol. But if you think about through this game, right, I think it was the first punt return of the game they take back. Was it 50 yards to give them great field position, right? Then you had offensive line issues throughout the game, right tackle getting benched halfway through because apparently you know they don't know their own depth chart well enough or they don't know their own players well enough to determine who's going to be their best bet you know they go in this game okay Wilkinson's out who do we think is going to give us the best chance to win at right tackle Latavius Simmons gets the start I mean that's that's the thought process right you're going to start whichever right tackle you think gives you the best chance and we found out pretty quickly that Latavius Simmons was not the right tackle that was going to give you the best chance and it's 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 a theme we've if you've been listening to this podcast for multiple years we've talked about this Every year under this regime, they can't properly evaluate their own players. They put someone out there and they bench them and they get someone else out there. And we saw it with quarterbacks in recent years. We've seen it all the time with this offensive line where they move Cody Whitehair to center and then left guard and James Daniels between the guard spots and different guys at the tackle spots now in the last couple of years with Effetti starting him at guard and then moving him to right tackle. Right, The first time they put somebody on the field, they can't properly get the right players in the right position because it seemed like Alex Bars played better. He was not a stellar right tackle, but it was better than the turnstile that was Luchavia Simmons. Maybe the maybe the Buccaneers kind of dialed down the aggressiveness a little bit that made things easier on bars. I don't know, but I think the coaching staff also didn't do Simmons any favors because he kept getting a lot of one-on-one blocks on the outside over there. It felt like they didn't prepare well at all for the Buccaneers. Like they didn't, they weren't ready for picking up the blitzes. They weren't ready for hot reads off the blitzes. They weren't ready for helping their right tackle against where Buccaneers, of course, were going to attack as soon as you know that they've got a backup or a fourth string right tackle essentially in this game. And then you can also sort of blame some some general manager and offensive line preparation for not having better depth, not having another option at center while Sam Mustafer is getting his butt kicked. There's not a real backup center on this roster. They'd probably have to move James Daniels or Cody Whitehead over. I mean, that's not proper team building. We talked about it as the as a concern before the season that offensive line depth would be a concern because it was a concern last season when they had a lot of these same problems and we haven't seen the Bears necessarily, you know, learn from some of these mistakes overall. So then you add in coaching on the, the interception free play, right? I mean, it's just there's there, there's so many different layers to this where it just feels like it's not just one thing. You know, you sometimes you can point to if you're a team like the Buccaneers who've been able to say, you know what, our cornerback position has been super injured, and they're bringing in Pierre Desir off the bench, and you know their fifth and sixth string cornerbacks are out there. And if you can point to your defense and say, ah, you know what, they're a bad passing defense because they're, all their cornerbacks are injured, okay, you can kind of say, you know what, injuries happen, and we can we can kind of blame it on that a little bit and say otherwise we're not a larger concern. But if but when you flip it over to the Bears, and it's not just one thing, but it's it's it is injuries on the offensive line, but it's other offensive linemen not playing well. It's quarterback turning it over, it's game plan stuff, it's not picking up blitzes, it's bad pass protection calls, it's bad special teams, it's the defense getting sliced and diced by Tom Brady, it's the pass rush being non-existent once again, right? It's so many different things that add up where you can't just point to one and say, here's the problem, right? Another thing with the Buccaneers' cornerbacks being injured, you'd think game plan once again, two weeks in a row, 
Packers have injured cornerbacks. Buccaneers have injured cornerbacks. Bears absolutely unable to take advantage of those matchups. Your three leading receivers in terms of catches, tight end, running back, tight end. Komet, Herbert, and James. Mooney had two catches. Robinson had two catches. Goodwin had two catches. Against backup cornerbacks, the preseason cornerbacks against your starting wide receivers. And some of it, again, some of it's on the wide receivers not getting open. Some of it's on the quarterback missing wide receivers. Some of it's on your coaching staff for not scheming up routes to win against backup cornerbacks or scheming up to better help your quarterback find your open wide receivers. I mean, again, it's this all-encompassing mess. It's why Bears fans have been so passionate about firing Matt Nagy and kind of cleaning up on this coaching staff because as much as they show us glimpses of game plans against bad teams, they're really, really exposed when they play good, well-coached teams. You know, they can beat up on the lines a little bit. They can they can stick out it a little bit with the kind of back and forth with the Raiders in there, you know, and they can, they can kind of turn things around and beat the Cincinnati Bengals who are now looking like a better team, but... When you really play the Packers and the Buccaneers and you see what the cream of the crop of the NFL looks like, it really exposes the deficiencies not only in talent on this roster, which goes to the general manager, but then the deficiencies in coaching. Starts at the head coach, but a lot of it's the offensive coordinator. And I don't think I have a lot of major complaints, all things considered, about what we saw from defensive coordinator Sean Desai. I mean, there's always things you can second guess. And when you lose 38-3, to you're never thrilled with your defensive performance. But I think there were some bright spots on this defense, and there was a bright spot in this running game. And we'll, we'll break down some of the positives a little bit more in depth next on Locked On Bears. If you're looking for some upside, how about a new app called Get upside. How about that works for you? Bears fans, listen up. This is an incredible app that really is for anybody who ever buys gasoline. If you, if you drive a car, anything like that, you need Get Upside. It's on the Google Play or the App Store. It's an app you download for your phone. And podcast listeners can get up to 25 cents per gallon cash back whenever you fill up your tank just by using the Get Upside app. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back just from filling up the tank. And there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your GetUpside account. And then you can connect your bank account if you want the direct deposit. They can do it through PayPal if you're more comfortable that way. Or even just e-gift cards to Amazon or wherever you like to shop online. The best part is if you download the app and enter our promo code TOUCHDOWN, you'll get a bonus $0.25 cents per gallon cash back on the first time you fill up. So you can get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank just download the get upside app and enter our promo code touchdown you really want to score a touchdown then you need to try the world's best tasting protein bars built bar because they are a score every single time you open one up i just this weekend got in my shipment i got salted caramel flavored built bars so it's it's the full protein bar it's covered in 100 real chocolate but it's ha- but it has actual pieces of pretzel and, and I got salted pretzel and salted caramel I got two boxes plus I got the banana cream puffs too I get I get really excited about the built bars when I get them. so salted caramel built bars for me tastes like Milky Way the salt salted pretzel to me has actual pieces of salted pretzel in there so you get this crunch in addition to the soft and chewy built bar and I tell you you have a little bit of one and a little bit of each and you combine them for like a, a caramel pretzel taste oh my god they taste so good but they're low sugar low calories high fiber and high protein there is not another protein bar product on the market that tastes this good and has those nutrient facts plus you get a chocolatey flavor every time they really do taste like a candy bar you got to try them for yourself head on over to builtbar.com enter our promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your next order 
That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. I'm trying not to give this Bears defense too much credit when they give up 38 points, but I really think they played better than the scoreboard indicates, and I'm not going to pretend that it was a dominant defensive performance or that everything was fine or that there weren't a lot of things to be concerned about, but it, it felt so often like the coverage was right there, and, and Tom Brady was just Tom Brady, right? I mean, he's just really, really, really good. I mean, there were certainly plays where the coverage was not right there, and there were mistakes in this game through and through, right? Absolutely, not not denying that, but this was not as bad of a defensive performance as the 38 points suggest. I look at the, the number of turnovers, and I don't know how many defenses could really overcome multiple strip sacks and three interceptions, plus a punt return. I mean, how many times would, did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers begin their drives in Bears territory? First drive started at the Bears 32nd. The third drive was at the Bears 40. The fourth drive was at the Bears 35. Three of their, four, three of their first four drives were in Bears territory, and then they had two more. In the first half, they had five of their eight drives started in Bears territory. So it, it's honestly impressive that there weren't more first-half touchdowns with, given where where the Buccaneers were starting those drives. I mean, yes, I think where, where I would where I would want to put hold up the defense is stop those touchdowns and make them field goals, right? They did hold to a field goal that was then a missed field goal, and you want to keep them out of the end zone. And that's where I'm a little more disappointed in the red zone defense. But it felt like at least getting to the red zone Man, they were right there on so many of those plays, and Brady just puts it exactly where it needs to be. Or Matt gets a little bit of pressure, and he steps up and just avoids the sack. Just enough time for Brady to put it out there. I mean, he Brady played a very good game. He missed a couple of throws here and there, and definitely, you know, like Roquan Smith made a great play on a screen pass on third down to, to force a punt early on there. Like, there were these moments of defense playing well. And I, I just I can't help but wonder if Robert Quinn had been able to go and had been more involved, and maybe Akeem Hicks too, if the pass rush could have... Just, just maybe slowed down Brady a little bit more, got a couple sacks in there, and, and maybe, again, held some of those touchdowns to field goals. Would not have been the difference between winning and losing this game, right? And that's, I think that's what I come back to with this defense, right? It's like, if they, okay, say each of those drives, they hold the, the Buccaneers to a field goal every single time they started in Bears territory. You take away five of those touchdowns and make them field goals, and then you're still losing, what, 18-3 to instead of 38-3, to right? I mean, as much as, like, this was not a good defensive performance, you're never going to win a game scoring three points. I mean, it just in the modern NFL, you're not going to win games that way, and so I'm not going to rail on this Bears defense for giving up 38. I mean, I'm, I'm frustrated with missed tackles from Eddie Jackson there. I'm frustrated with some penalties there. I, honestly, I thought DeAndre Houston Carson played pretty well in, in place of Tashawn Gibson, and I'm, I'm about ready to just make DeAndre Houston Carson your, your every week starter and just bench Tashawn Gibson because I think overall, and I want to go back and see the All-22, but overall it felt like Houston Carson is playing better than Tashawn Gibson, who's just been a massive disappointment this season. Jalen Johnson got beat a couple of times against Mike Evans on the sideline there, back-to-back throws. I mean, those were great throws by Brady, but you you want if Jalen Johnson's going to take that next step, he's got to win those. And I know Mike Evans is, you know, five inches on him and probably 25 pounds, and so that's a tough matchup for your, your cornerback. But it was, it was a test. That was a measuring stick. All right, Jalen Johnson, are, are, are you at that next level in your second year? Not yet. And that's okay. He doesn't need to be an elite cornerback in his second year, but I think that was totally your measurement. All right, elite quarterback and very, very good wide receiver versus your second-year cornerback. Can he hold up on those two plays 
not exactly. And they were they were great throws and great routes and, and great receiver. But it's just again a measuring stick, and it's it's progress along the way. Then for Jalen Johnson and a great learning opportunity for him. But I I'd be remiss, and I, I feel bad for saving the best for last was Khalil Herbert. I mean that guy ran hard. He's so explosive. He runs so well, and he just he gets to that second level faster, even than David Montgomery. It felt like even sort of faster than Tariq Cohen because Herbert's more decisive, right? He just he gets downhill and he gets going in a hurry, and it's been really impressive to watch. Honestly, it's to the point where I, I don't know how eager I am to give David Montgomery a contract extension. Not that Khalil Herbert is instantly better than David Montgomery, but if you can you can find running backs like this in the sixth round. So why do you have to? Why are you going to pay a running back significant amount of money, right? If he'll come back cheap, absolutely. I want David Montgomery on this team. He, he's a good. He's a good running back. But I'm not going to pay him top running back money when he hits the open market because Khalil Herbert really is running well. I will give the Bears' offensive line some credit for run blocking well. They created some creases for him against a very, very good run defense and a good front seven. It seemed like that's been the case the last few games. Like Jason Peters is more comfortable run blocking. That interior is better run blocking, especially Sam Mustafer at center, I think. And, and even when you get a, a backup right tackle in there, run blocking can build some of that confidence too. And so they were doing a very good job in the ground game. I mean, and they, I think they broke down the stats throughout the game on how the Buccaneers' run defense had, hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher since like early last season or something like that. And Herbert... A six-round rookie out of Virginia Tech running all over them. I mean, he had 100 yards, 18 carries. Absolutely a, a great game for him. And one other thing I want to circle back to on this Bears defense before I forget. They showed the graphic during the game. Tom Brady had six straight incompletions, tied a career high for consecutive incompletions. This defense stepped up for some moments in this game, right? Obviously not enough, but offense wasn't going to be enough for them to win either. So I do think there are some some moments there, some positives in what was otherwise a very embarrassing blowout loss. We expected them to lose. It was the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. doesn't make it feel any better, but I do think, it, for me, it tones down a little bit of the sky is falling because, of course, they were expecting to lose. I mean, the sky is supposed to be falling against maybe the best team in the NFC after playing a really good NFC team the week before. Doesn't I mean, again, coaching staff is a very real problem, and this is further evidence of that, and I still think you, know, you fire Matt Nagy, you move on from, from this coaching staff and probably this general manager, and you, you build around Justin Fields in the future in the long term, but same time, they are still 3-4. and four. It is just one game. It was one bad situation, and there will be easier games down the line on the schedule, maybe not exactly in the immediate future, but the Bears will win more games, right? They're not going to lose out from here necessarily. They're, you know what I mean? It's not, everything is not completely over. I don't, it certainly doesn't look like a high-quality playoff team, but again, things will be better than what we saw on the field against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hopefully that gives you some sort of hope or optimism for, for why you got to keep following along this season. I mean, Justin Fields is certainly a, a good enough reason for me. I'll be keeping a close eye on him each and every week here in the podcast. So make sure you subscribe to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Unfortunately, I'm guessing my my quality of voice is going to get worse before it gets better as this week goes along i think i'm i'm on the beginning not the not the tail end of a little bit of uh, congestion there again not not anything more serious than that so i appreciate you for sticking along and hopefully hopefully i can sound better for you sooner rather than later and of course uh, we'll keep breaking down this game throughout the week and then get you ready for next week and put together a game plan and all that good stuff so I hope you I hope you survived a rough Sunday afternoon of football on television but again it will get better from here and, and hopefully the podcast can make it a little bit easier to bear down. <laughs>